Hey everyone, this is Avra. I just wanted to take a moment before the show to plug my novel that came out this weekend, Cape Corvid, which is out on Kindle and paperback, so please check it out if you're interested in supporting me. That's C-A-P-E-C-O-R-V-Y-D. Thank you so much, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Listeners, you're listening to We Finally Watched BoJack Horseman, Season 4, Episode 1, a podcast where two friends force each other to watch the shows we keep meaning to watch and talk about them. I'm your first friend, Abra. And I'm the second friend, Anthony. And uh, let's just get right into it, because this is the um, the first episode of a new season. Yeah, you know. And uh, Season 4 is personally my favorite. I, I feel like Seasons 5 and 6 are really good, but I feel like Season 4 is like the peak. You know, that is what I've heard before. Uh, this being my first time watching BoJack Horseman, I think this, you know, I'm excited for the season. I can already tell that there's going to be a through plot about Mr. Peanut Butter running for uh, various political positions, it seems like it's going to be. And uh, I'm, I'm just super excited to see uh, Mr. Peanut Butter be president, because thus far he's the only character, uh, I guess aside from Todd, that hasn't been shown to be completely evil. Though though I feel like we're getting hints at it this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say he's evil, but he's definitely, um, I'm not really sure the word for it, but he's he's oblivious to the damage that he can cause. Yes, I not, guess. not that he's not doing damage, but just he's oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, anyway, so in okay. Legend of Korra episode 9... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> April Fools, everyone! Woo! Woo! <laughs> he got pranked. Yeah, punked. Punk. Prank patrol. Totally. You ever punked. watch prank prank patrol? Alrighty, so actually, we're watching Legend of Korra, Book One, Chapter Nine. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Right off the bat, what were what were your thoughts? This episode had a lot of lot of stuff going for it. I was I was excited. I was I was having a good time. Although I I feel like thinking about it in the past few hours, there there are a few issues that have come up in my mind that we'll we'll get to later. But overall, I enjoyed it. I think uh, we're finally starting to get to the meat and potatoes of the season. The first half of the season was like fun and good, but it's not what I think of when I think of highlights of uh, Legend of Korra. But like now we're getting to the stuff that I remember most vividly. For sure. The first thing that I want to mention, and I, I can't really remember if this was a, was a thing in the last airbender but there's that sound effect that you get any time that someone is bloodbending and i hate that sound effect so much oh the like nails like, on the chalkboard like screech no not that like the the actual like sound of them manipulating the body it's like oh. kind of squishy but also a little bit crunchy i mean i feel like it's accurate to what it would feel like to have someone's muscles manipulated against their will, but also it's just not a good noise. Yeah, it's surprisingly dark. I want to give you, you know, a, a little bit of kudos, and I think I did last episode as well, but like you couldn't have predicted that bloodbending would play as big a role in the season as you think, but I think you mentioned it like fairly often in our episodes at the beginning of the season. Well, I mean, it's one of those things that like really sticks with you, and especially since, you know, Korra is bit more of an adult show you've you've got kind of um you can 
do more with these darker elements. So it was something that I was kind of like hoping for in a way. Like I wanted to see where they would take these things because bloodbending is already a pretty dark concept for a children's show in The Last Airbender. So, so yeah, now that they're doing more with it. Absolutely. And I think like because it was one of the more infamous parts of The Last Airbender, I think it was really smart on them to explore it a bit more but speaking of Last Airbender, we get uh, a lot more flashbacks this episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was very excited about that. I was also very excited about how beefy Lynn is. Like, holy yeah. crap. Love that. And also, obviously don't like Tarlock, um, but I gotta respect the dedication that he had to actually electrocute himself for his alibi. You know that that he's going he's going all the way. Oh yeah, no he he is a a really smart corrupt. Po- no, I wouldn't say. I don't know. His plan seems fundamentally flawed, but at the same time, I don't think he actually anticipated getting into a fight with Korra and like having or like at least that that fight wouldn't lead to him exposing himself as a bloodbender. Right. I I think that he's kind of going on the fly here, and so if if I'm gonna give him that benefit of the doubt uh I'll, I'll just assume that he's doing the best with what he's got for sure yeah that's that's kind of what i i had the impression that it, this wasn't like a, a really premeditated thing that he was sort of thinking on the fly here another thing that i noted so when they when they go to the equalist underground compound or whatever i thought it it seemed kind of weird that like i guess that it's underground as opposed to like somewhere outside of the city because number one they don't have earthbenders so like digging out these massive tunnels would be super inconvenient and like not a fast process i guess they do they did have what's his face asami's father yes sato they had him but also like it, it feels like it would be a lot of work but also the fact that Earth Sense is a thing and like police chief has it and I don't think that it's something that's kept a secret really. I don't know. If it, it feels like it's it's not a great spot to put your base. Yeah, so I was thinking about this too, is even if Mr. Sato did the whole, like, built these uh, tunnels for them, and that's the explanation for why they're there, there is no way you can build those tunnels in secret with, like, how expansive they are and how much railway technology is down there. And, like, the good news about this is that this is great infrastructure for the city. Yeah. Like, yeah, they <laughs> like repurpose after that. all this is said and done, assuming that, like, you know, they're squashed, they set on a gold mine because this is an entire, like, New York-level subway system that just doesn't have to come out of the uh, the city council's books, right? That's like, true. They, like, hooray for them. <laughs> yeah. Really, you know, if it wasn't being used for domestic terrorism, this would actually be really, really good thing that the Equalists have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. On, on, like, on that same line of thought, because they have seismic sense, when Bolin and them were kidnapped, right, did no one follow up? Because I was thinking, like, if all... Because, like, it's a falsified lead, right? That, oh, uh, the Korra was abducted by them but then like they're like okay well we don't know where Korra went Bolin where did they abduct you and then they go there and investigate it's like did did nobody ask him after he was rescued that's a good point you'd think that that's like how are you just now investigating this yeah no for sure I didn't even think about that but that is (laughs) that is 100% true yeah and like not to shit on Lin here but like 
that's your job. <laughs> like, you you should have been doing this when you were on the clock, lady. Like, I don't know. The reason I, I guess I didn't think about this before they brought it up in this episode specifically was in the episode where Bolin got kidnapped, it kind of just felt like they kidnapped him maybe had him in a second location for like i I don't even it it didn't even feel like they did that it feels like they just kidnapped him and then brought him to the warehouse where or whatever that amon was having his whole epiphany thing meet up Mm -hmm. like it kind of didn't feel like he was really taken to an intermediate location in that episode i don't think but then the other thing is that they're like okay so she does the seismic sense and they're like oh there's a tunnel and then they like walk over like 10 feet and there's a giant gaping sewer in the ground with a giant like metal fender and then they're like oh here's the gate like how did you not see that well to be fair i will say that the gate and and this is giving them the benefit of the doubt it kind of looks like a stormwater canal so like it would just be a drain that water would go into. Like, it's kind of in a ditch. And so the revelation there is, like, that... Is the motorcycle tracks going in, I think. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. At least that was sort of my interpretation. No, I'll buy it. Like, I, like, you know, I I understand it's a kid show and, like, sometimes leaps of logic. And, like, also... Yeah. Maybe they did try following up with Bolin, but because Bolin was technically doing something illegal, he, like, didn't want to let them know where he was when he got abducted. Oh, yeah, because he was helping out the, the the guys the triad adult ang and adult Toph. we get a nice little interaction with them in a flashback yeah and my boy Sokka. yeah yes. oh my god yeah uh Toph and ang it's it's i like that she still calls him twinkle toes but yes Sokka, my boy you know in the middle of this whole speech let me tell you about this one story I have with my boomerang. It's so good. I once defeated a guy with only my boomerang who could firebend with his mind. And you know he's talking about Mr. Sparky Boom Boom Man. Oh, yeah. He's talking about Sparky Sparky Boom Boom. Sparky Sparky Boom Man. He's handsome as ever. Oh, boy, is he handsome oh, as ever. beautiful. And the voice actor that they got for Adult Sokka did a fantastic job. Yeah, it, it did sound really like a grown-up version of uh, what he sounds like in The Last Airbender. So this is, this is something that kind of bothered me in this episode a little bit, and I'm hoping that maybe they explain it later, but it kind of feels like they might not, is the exact mechanisms of how this whole bloodbending without the full moon thing is working. Mm -hmm. Because they established that Yekon could do it. And, you know, like Sokka said, oh, it's, you know, it's some completely new thing. And then it's established that, okay, Tarlok is Yakon's son, so yes, he has that same ability. But they don't really explain the mechanisms of that. And it's like with Combustion Man, like, we didn't know the mechanisms of that either, but he didn't talk, and we knew it had something to do with that that third eye tattoo. And, and even with metal bending, like, we know the mechanism of how it works, that it's the, the impurities in the metal, but we don't, we still don't know how this whole blood bending thing works. You know, I, I really like it when in a story you kind of implement this new idea into the magic system and you're kind of like, whoa, how does that work? And then they just don't explain it, how it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about that because so far it doesn't really gel with the rules that we've established for how bloodbending works. Given the information we have now, my fan theory when I first watch this show was that maybe there is something going on with realizing that the waning and waxing of the moon is an illusion 
like recognizing that the moon is always full and that it is only the light bouncing off of it that like makes it look like it's full or not and and like maybe there's some sort of i i guess that was definitely the theory i had when i first watched this episode and i i ran away with it on my tumblr at the time um but i really like that idea that a discovery in science like realizing that the moon isn't actually disappearing every new moon that would push forward spiritual understanding made me very happy Okay, I, I can sort of see that, yeah. I find it's kind of interesting that you bring up the whole illusion aspect. Have you have you watched The Dragon Prince? Yes, but only some of it. Okay. I was in the room while my wife was watching most of it, and I think I paid attention to most of season one. I, I just think it's kind of an interesting thing, because in that series, the whole thing with, like, moon magic is it's all based around illusions as well. Yeah, and that's uh, that show is by the same creators as Last Airbender and Korra, Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, uh, th- yeah, because the voice actor for the main character is the voice actor who uh, voiced Sokka. <laughs> yeah. So, thank God for Tarlock's little, like, assistant guy who stuck around and witnessed him kidnapping Korra, because if he wasn't there to, like, basically say, yo, yo, Tar- I'm, I was a witness, Tarlock totally did that, kind of would- they might have been f- because they would have known that he was like that mm-hmm. he did it but with no evidence and then i love how he's like everyone knows you're just a squeaky little liar and it's like wait a second wait like yeah, we, just... we don't know anything about this person like no one yeah. you've established nothing <laughs> if if anything the fact that you are suddenly asserting that makes me mm-hmm. believe that you are lying true i guess i guess tenzin probably knows the guy and maybe he does have a reputation for being a squeaky voiced little whatever but yeah also back to the flashback um i guess i'm just doing these in the order that i wrote the notes so i guess this was probably in chronological order but the scene where we see ang bringing down yakan and the music where they like reuse the same melodies from the last airbender mm-hmm. that that legit gave me chills like when we saw him going into the avatar state so good okay what's uh what's your next note uh tarlock super kind of deserved to have his bending taken away you know like yeah absolutely (laughs) i'm not disappointed or or sad about that he kind of deserved it yeah no for sure no pity points for him when he takes down like everybody Mm -hmm. at once all i could think about was when we took that quiz and you got waterbender and it was like waterbenders like always like to help people like like... generally aid on the side of (laughs) i was just like oh man oh no (laughs) yeah no 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 and uh, and the fact that um, Amon was like able to resist the bloodbending, which aside from Aang, is not something that we've ever seen. So that was also really cool. And then, like you were you were saying before, with Korra just being like super resourceful, avoiding the electricity, and then pretending to be knocked out. Um, that was really cool. And again, I I think we've talked about this before, but I just I find it so interesting. That she is technically a water avatar, but her first, like, her instinct even here, when she gets out of the cage, is she goes for fire, then transitions to earth, and she she doesn't even touch water. Like, even when, and then when she gets outside and she's surrounded by snow, which is her native element, like, she grew up in the South Pole, and then, like, Amon kicks her down the hill or whatever, or she r- runs away down the hill. She doesn't slide down gracefully, she's, like, tumbling down, like, like with a mess. She's not... 
she does kind of, um, like, once she gets to her feet, she almost, like, it looks like she's, like, snowboarding, except she doesn't have a board. So, and I, I'd say for, like, the fire and earth bending there, that was kind of, like, what she had available. Like, just coming out of the cage, fire bending, you could Yeah, do- I totally get it. I just think it's a, it's, a, it's a common trend we've seen with her a lot. Is she, like, her default bending style is fire bending. Which I think, like, more matches her personality, maybe. But I just think it's interesting. Right. For me, in, like, a practical sense, it's, to me, speaks that, like, that that's the, probably the best offensive option. And it's something that she'll always have available to her. But yeah, and then, so yeah, she breaks out, she goes down the hill a bunch, and then Naga shows up. And I, I can't remember what happened to Naga before, like... Did she just run away, kind of, looking for Korra? Yeah, so I I guess at the end of the last episode, we don't see her at all. And then at the beginning of this one, they're like, oh, well, we'll have Naga, like, sniff her down. And then it's like, oh, we don't know where Naga is. And so I guess the implication is she was already tracking Korra, like, herself. So she was, like, just, like, outside the building. And then when Korra comes out, she's like, oh, there she is. Like, that's great. And I love that, like, loyal dog trope that, like, the dog is already one step ahead of the humans because it just loves its human so much. Yeah. So sweet. You're a good girl. Uh, also, I, I just realized, but how small Naga's hind legs are compared to her front legs. Yeah, yeah, um, no, her front paws are humongous. It's kind of comical. I yeah. I like it. It reminds me of this one old uh, Looney Tune with like, it's like a bulldog and he had like really muscular front legs and like really tiny hind legs and he would just run around on his front legs with his hind legs kind of waving in the air. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, no, this, the scene where Amon is resisting the blood bending and he's like, what are you? And he's like, I am the solution. That, mm-hmm. the, my first time watching it made me myself yeah um like and and watching it this time like that was like everything up to this point has shown me that like aman is a villain and that like he's evil but that was the point where i really genuinely was scared of aman like where i thought oh this guy is a real threat (laughs) right because i i guess so my i guess sort of fan theory of the reason that he can like withstand the blood bending is maybe connected to however he learned how to take away bending like whatever that spiritual source is has also kind of granted him immunity from someone else using bending on his body that's yeah no interesting theory that's that's all i'll say about that yeah i want to i want to see how it plays out <laughs> kind of my last note was Mako, you idiot, your girlfriend is, like, literally right there, and you're just, you're being, like, all romantic on Korra, and it's like, Asami is, like, literally right there, dude. Uh, yeah, the the, the romance subplot has not gone away yet, and I just, if I cared about it at all the first time watching it, I don't remember, and I definitely don't care now. Like, it's, yeah. I'm just like, oh my god, just get back to the Amon stuff. Yeah, get back to like the cool spiritual conflict and mysteries and stuff. Like, that's what I care about. I don't care about Mako's girlfriend problems. Um, Another thing is Aman, when he goes after Korra, Mm -hmm. he Naruto runs. Does he? I didn't notice. He does. He Naruto runs. And I, I understand that scientifically. It is the fastest way to run is it because really? you're reducing drag. But I just think... Is it really, though? I just think 
And no, it's not. <laughs> it's totally not. Um, but I just, I think it was so hilarious, and I never noticed it before. But like hands behind the back and everything, like oh. straight Naruto. Run. God, yeah. I used to be friends with someone who was really into Naruto in like grade six, and he he would Naruto run and. Um... Yeah. Rest in peace. It was a rough time. No, he he Naruto runs. So I think if there was any debate, and there and I know that there's a huge debate online about whether or not the Last Airbender and Legend of Korra count as animes, the fact that the main villain Naruto runs at the protagonist, mm-hmm. I think is is confirmation that this is an anime. Yeah. Well, I, I think I mean I feel like the whole is it an anime debate just really comes down to. Bit- pedantics honestly like i don't know i'm of the opinion that i don't really care i like animation as a medium regardless of where it comes from so it doesn't really matter yeah, to i me. think really it all boils down to of what is anime as a genre and can genre truly be restricted to a cultural location well and the other thing is though is first of all i feel like genre is too narrow of a word here i would go with medium because there are so many different genres in anime by itself. But also you have the fact that a lot of animation is like outsourced. And, you know, with globalization, we have kind of the waters are a little bit muddy on where is this thing from? I remember a few years ago, Porter Robert Robertson. Okay. Robinson? Robertson? I, I don't know his name. Electronic artist. He has like a music video where he worked with an anime studio to create this anime music video. And there was this huge debate of is this anime because technically Mm -hmm. the guy in charge is American, but he worked with a Japanese anime studio. And so it's like, how anime is this? And... I mean, I would say, having watched the music video, yeah, it's definitely anime. I, I like to, when pedantic arguments like this come up, go back to, like, ultimately, what is the use of it? So, like, in this case, what's the use of... Because what we're talking about here is genre. So what is the use of genre? And, like, in practice, genre is really just an easy way of letting me know what I might like or might not like, right? If I know I don't like romantic comedies, then I know I probably won't like Friends with Benefits, the Justin Timberlake movie. But if I know I like sci-fi, then I'll probably know I'll like the new Star Wars film, just because it's in the genre that I know I've liked other movies of. So when you put it in terms like that, really what it comes down to is not, is was Avatar Last Airbender made in Japan and therefore not an anime? And more of, is Last Airbender and Legend of Korra close enough to the tropes of anime that somebody who likes anime would be willing to, would like watch it and enjoy it, right? And I think in that term, yeah, it's an anime. But again, like you've said, it is, when it comes down to it, a pedantic argument. Right, yeah, and I, th- I think that's a fair way of looking at it. Well, Abra, thanks for potting with me, and listeners, thanks for listening. If you want to keep up with us, you can follow us on Twitter at WFWCast, or follow us on Spotify or any other podcasting app you used to listen to us. Remember to send in a voice message if you want us to hear something. And one last reminder to check up on your friends. I promise they don't hate you as much as you think they do. Until next time.